listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Hearing your word read to us of what that great day will be like and then being able to join together with human voices here to be able to to, to anticipate and, and our minds can't even fully understand or fully grasp how amazing to be together with the angels, to be together with the saints of old, the millions upon billions of people gathered together around your throne, declaring your greatness, your holiness, your awesome. We can't imagine what that's going to be like. Can't imagine. And yet, God, our world is so broken. Our lives can be so messed up. We can be filled with fear. We're filled with disease and sickness. We're filled with strife and, 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 and battles that are going on. And we look at this old, tired, troubled world and we see that that day is coming. That day is coming sooner than we perhaps even think. That day when you will return and, oh God, we just will then get a glimpse of your greatness and your power. And yet, God, we know that the battle and the struggle is real here. We even think of the disasters that have taken place in this past week um, in our own province. And God, we pray for the many people who are displaced. We pray for the many people whose lives have been turned upside down in so many different ways. We think of the ravages of COVID. We think of the riots going on in the United States. We think of all of these different things, and we see the brokenness in our world all throughout. And God, we need you. And God, we need to be able to stand firm in these days and not get tossed and turned and beaten up and beaten down. And instead, you teach us and you empower us to stand in the power of your spirit, to stand with your armor. And God, I pray that even now as we turn to your word, that your people would be renewed, that we would be refreshed, we would be challenged, we would repent, we would confess where we need to. And then we would stand, stand firmly with the belt of truth, guarded and, and, and strapped around us. And so, God, would you work in a mighty way? We pray for those in our church family that aren't here physically with us. They're watching online. There are some that are struggling uh, with various illnesses and some in the hospital. And, God, we pray that you would just meet them in a powerful way, meet each one of us in a powerful way through your word here together uh, as we proclaim it and then as we desire to follow it and to live it. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said? And? Let's get to it. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. As we get into God's Word here, I trust you have paper. I trust you have a pen. You have paper. If not, there are Bibles over there. The ushers have Bibles. If you need a piece of paper or a pen, raise your hand. The ushers are set and ready to hand that out and uh, take full advantage of that as... um, We would love for you to be able to follow along in God's Word. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, take that home with you as as a gift to you from the Lord. And uh, it will change your life. And for the rest of you, be sure, remind you, bring your Bibles, bring papers, bring a notepad so that you can can, um, write down. We've got lots of uh, stuff to cover here today as well. Um, At the... Over on the counter over there, we have these Fight Well cards. I I trust that you have a a number of these around in your household and make sure that you uh, have have these and these stickers as they have come out. And if you're joining us online and you 
you're unable to join us physically, these can be sent out. They can be mailed out to you. And so um, you feel free to uh, go on that online connection card. There's a, a, a little thing you can fill out there, and we would be glad to send out some Fight Well cards and stickers to you just to be that reminder for us that we need to fight well, we need to stand firm, and we can do this in the power and the strength that God supplies for us. Also a reminder, tonight's prayer night, we have, this is, this is such an important night in the life of our church. There is so much that has happened in the last month in the life of our church, in our world. We had a powerful time as we met together a month ago to pray. And I don't know about you, but are you tired? Are you tired of getting beaten up in the battles? Are you tired of seeing the enemy advancing? Are you tired about perhaps the lack of victory in your life? Are you concerned, are you saddened by how brothers and sisters in the Lord are also getting beat up and struggling and battling and facing all kinds of different issues and situations? If you are, then it's time to pray. It's time to get off the comfy couch tonight at 6 p.m. and get into the pew that they have there at Grace Baptist. It's a large facility, and you can spread out, and, and, um, and, and there's room upstairs, and so we can, can distance well, and we're going to get after praying and seeking the Lord, but we're going to start by worshiping the Lord, and we're going to trust Him. There's going to be encouragement from God's Word. We're going to have some testimony of answered prayer in the past that I believe will just propel us to pray boldly and to pray with faith and with confidence according to God's word and that together we are going to see the gospel advance and, and, and God's word advance in our lives and in our families and situations to change. And so um, let's get this up there. You're going to repeat this with me. It's back, the cheesy statement. All right, so I'm going to say it once and then we're going to say it all together. Let's go pray. Let's all go. See you there. Okay, so let's all say this together. Let's go pray. Let's all go. See you there. Lame. You can do it much better than that, okay? And especially when it comes to all, you say it like, say it like an American, all, and say it good and loud, okay? So let's do it again. Let's go pray. Let's all go see you there. And I trust that we will see you there tonight. And, and awesome, they've got a room there for kids to be able to play and, and carry on. And it's right near the sanctuary. And, and so just a, a great opportunity. We're thankful to be able to uh, be at Grace Baptist tonight at 6 p.m. for that. Let's follow along, um, follow along in your Bibles as we read God's word here. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And when we get to verse 14, I'm going to ask you to stand once again. And you're going to read together God's word with me. And I trust that this is something that we would be memorizing. And what we're memorizing, what we are going to, you're going to stand in unison and say with me is on these cards. And it will be on the screen and it's in your Bible. So I'm going to start at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now join me in standing in the reading of God's word, in the declaring of God's word. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen. You sounded awesome. Now, have a seat. Let's get into God's Word. And, and last week and today again, just a reminder, we are at war. The war is real. The war is all around us. There is a fight between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan. There is a fight between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There is a fight between God's people and the enemy and what he would have for us. And today are a child of God. Today, if you are his child, the forces of evil are targeting you. You are a prime target for the evil one. And the plan is of the evil one to discourage, distract, divide, and perhaps even today, it may even feel in your own life like today, the enemy is winning. The battle is real. And you continue, you just feel beat up, beaten down, and it feels like the enemy is advancing. Now, the battle is being fought on many fronts. And, and, and on many different levels, and, and we saw this from last week, that the battle is being fought, first of all, and I encourage you to be writing this down, because these are some important truths that I encourage you to take and study, and in group studies or personal studies, it will be posted on the online lobby, you can study further here in God's word. And, and we know that the battle is being fought in, first of all, the heavenly realms. That is where the fight is taken. We see that in verse 12, when you talked about that God's forces, God's holy angels against Satan and, and demons. Um, the, the forces of evil. And, and, and then second of all, we also know that this battle is being fought in our own lives, working through our own selfishness and our own conscience and, 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 and how we can be lured and, 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 and lulled by the devil into his schemes by our own, as I say, sometimes our own selfish desires and plans and, 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 and how the enemy just seeks to diminish and distract us from a life of power and victory of joy and peace, of fellowship with God, so that we would be out of sync with God, so we would be out of sync with others. And so he, he's, he, the battle is taking place in our daily lives. Remember last week we said how the enemy loves to attack in the areas of life that are most precious to us. And where does he lo love to attack and what does he go after? In, in, in the fundamental and foundational areas in our lives. He goes after our marriages, he goes after our families, he goes after our work. These are all to be precious gifts from God, and the enemy uses these and, and, and to bring any sort of um, defeat in our lives in these areas. And yet for some folks, I mean, this, these are precious gifts that God has given to us, and yet in many ways it can become a great source of conflict and trouble and trial in our lives. But thirdly, the fight can take place um, in the evil day. We read that in verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, what is the evil day? Have you ever thought about that? Is it today? There's a lot of evil going on and it just seems so concentrated in these days. Ephesians chapter five, it says that we are to make the most of our days because the day is evil. So is the evil day meaning today? Is that what he's talking about here? I think it could be a little bit more specific than that. I, I mean, and, and um, 
is the evil day a day to come yet in the future? When, when all hell is going to break loose. I mean, what we read about in the book of Revelation and the things that are described there in the Great Tribulation, is that the evil day? Now, now some commentators, some Bible scholars believe that the evil day mentioned there in verse 13 is everything since the fall in Genesis chapter 3 until the time that Jesus returns. Between there and the, till Christ returns, that is the evil day. It very well could be. And yet I believe that the evil day, and we can see it biblically as well, lends itself to maybe something that is even a little bit more than the happenings of everyday life. And, and you can be just kind of going through certain seasons and, you know, some, you know, just kind of going along like this, but then all of a sudden the evil day hits. And it is like deep rivers and difficult valleys and, and just the onslaught where it just seems, could anything else happen? And I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. And, and, and every day it contains so much evil, but, but the evil day could easily be special or certain days where the power of darkness and temptation come on strong in our lives. And, and it comes at us with almost like relentless pursuits where God's children families, churches are getting pretty beat up and getting pretty overwhelmed with the attacks or with serious temptation or with just difficult trials. And it just seems like the forces of evil, it's just like, I believe that's quite possibly what the evil day could easily mean here. Jesus knew of those days when he was here on the earth. I mean, he was always being attacked in different ways and different things happening to us, but we see highly concentrated times in his life when the evil day came towards him. We see that when he was uh, in the wilderness, when he was being tempted by the devil. We see that in Mark chapter or Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. The evil days when Satan came right after him. And tried to discourage, tried to deceive, and try to get him to, um, to, to uh, fall into his traps. Or in the garden before his crucifixion in Matthew chapter 26, where the attack and the pressure was so great that he was facing literally the weight of the world on his shoulders and just the darkness and the heaviness and the load that he was actually sweating drops of blood, which is actually physically possible it's physically possible with so much stress and being so overwhelmed that a person can actually sweat drops of blood. It is actually a medical uh, uh, happening that, that can take place. The evil day for us may be sometimes like that where it just seems one thing after another just continues to hit us. And, and in some ways over the last little while, I, I, I believe I've seen that even in the life of our own church where it just seems like here is a church desiring to press on and go forward in the gospel, to be a church of prayer, to be a church of the word of God. Do you think the enemy likes it? Not at all. He hates it. And so he will bring distraction and will bring discouragement, has brought disease, have, have brought people who have been sick and have gotten sick seriously over the last little while. And, and that's a concern. And it just seems like I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this week. It was just like, I'm sick and tired of this. And the only way that we can, you know, just being sick of it and just having a little hissy fit doesn't do anything. No, how do we take a stand? Well, that's why we're gathering together tonight to pray. That's why, because we can take a stand and we can advance together in the gospel. We can advance together against the attacks of the evil day. But the evil day may also be, come at us in very subtle ways doesn't come in the big attacks or various things, but 
The evil day could easily come when three things kind of join together. I encourage you to write this down. When temptation, opportunity, and desire come together. We face temptation all the time, don't we? We, we, in our heads, in what we see, in the conversations that we have, temptation to think or to speak or to act wrongly, temptation to sin, to be selfish, to be unloving, to be unforgiving, temptation to say or to do some things that are pretty bad or pretty hurtful. I mean, I mean whether it's when you're driving, temptation to, well, I'm not even going to talk about what, what kind of temptations we can face when we're driving. And, and, and we're faced with this temptation, and sometimes we win, or sometimes it's just not. But, but temptation, we're just impact, pounded with that continually, whether it's the fiery darts that come into our heads of, of discouragement or defeat or distraction or, or lies from the enemy that he loves to get in there, that, and, and, and we're tempted to say or to do things that, that we ought not to do that we know. And, and we can fight it off, but, but when opportunity presents itself as well as desire, when those three join together, that could be very well the evil day for you and for me. Like King David, he was mighty in battle, a man after God's own heart who did so. He faced the enemy. He was this mighty warrior. He faced the, the, the giant. You think those were his evil days? No, the evil day was when he was out on the porch of the, the palace overlooking when, when he ought to have been off to war, when he should have been fighting. But for some reason, he didn't. And temptation, opportunity, and desire presented itself, and he went with it. And he fell. And he fell with a crash. And, and he suffered his greatest defeat while he was on the palace patio, on the palace porch. That's where op- temptation, opportunity, and desire met together. And instead of running... From that temptation, from that opportunity, from that desire, he fell, and he fell hard. And again, this will be part of the group study or personal study this week that will be posted on the online lobby later on today. But the fourth place that the battle is fought can be in the Lord. The battle is in the Lord. This is where the battleground is. The battleground is, 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 is and, and the battle is ultimately won or lost, if we're fighting in the Lord, it's going to be won. If it's not, we're going to lose. And this is where it is won regardless of what comes our way. This is how we can stand firm and stand strong. Verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. You see, true victory can only be assured in the Lord because we, aren't, we are no match for the enemy in our own power, in our own strength. Jesus Christ has fought and accomplished and secured our victory. And we can fight, we can stand in the victory by being prepared, by being protected and equipped for this battle. But we don't stand in our power and our strength. We stand only in his. You see, what it means to be, and this is so key and I encourage you to underline that there in verse 10. In the Lord, this means is to be dressed and ready for battle. This is where the armor of God, which we'll get to in a few moments, comes, comes into place in our lives. To be, to be in the Lord, it, it, it means that we have the defensive pieces of the armor firmly in place, and we have the offensive weapon in hand. It means that we can protect ourselves, we can be protected, but we can also be on the offensive. And then we can stand and we can fight in the Lord, in the power of His might. When we put on His whole armor, we can do this. 
but it's only in his power, his strength. Now, all throughout Paul's writings, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use metaphors, to use different imagery for us to be able to uh, comprehend or understand um, his teaching and, and just to put it real to life. And so he uses ath- athletics, art, architecture, agriculture at times, and now in Ephesians 6, he's using the metaphor of, of warfare, of a Roman soldier, of, of, of a mighty warrior, of wearing armor. Now, some might say that this is probably because Paul spent a lot of time in prison, which he did. He spent a lot of time in prison, and when he was writing the book of Ephesians, he was in prison in Rome. And what would he see, no doubt, a lot of? A lot of Roman soldiers. And what would those Roman soldiers have been wearing? A lot of this armor that is being described here. So, so one might be kind of nearsighted to think this. I have thought this all along until this week and studying and digging into it. It's like, I've never seen this before in God's word. And this is so amazing and so beautiful. And so let's not just see it so, so in light of just his present circumstances. And this is so important and, and helpful for us to understand this. And, and yes, the Roman soldier analogy and imagery may have been part of it and, and, and helped the people to understand, helps us to understand it. But it's so much deeper and so much more awesome than this. You see, the soldier, his armor, it actually goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament promises, prophesies, predicts about Jesus with all kinds of images and descriptions and foreshadowings that we see of the Messiah in so many different ways. We see this in, in, in Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb in, in Exodus 12. We see him described as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. But in Psalm 24, it was posted on the online lobby this morning, Psalm 24, we see Jesus as the Messiah described as the mighty warrior. He's the soldier that went into battle first and foremost. Before any imagery of the Roman soldier, it was Jesus. And in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 59, description of the Messiah's fighting shoes that he would be wearing, of his, of his belt, of his breastplate, of the helmet of salvation is even mentioned in the Old Testament. Again, this will be part of the study this next week. I encourage you to dig into that. And how important it is because, as, as I said, the Old Testament promises Jesus. The New Testament reveals Jesus. You have to know and understand this theological, biblical truth because it, it's what strengthens us, and it's where the power and the strength comes from, that we aren't standing in our own strength, but we're standing in his. And so Paul is showing us that Jesus was promised and then became the mighty, the divine warrior. He was the mighty one. And again, this is so important because the Christian life, and this is where we get this so wrong so oftentimes, the Christian life is not about wearing the armor so that we become strong enough. It isn't about becoming so much like Jesus to become like Jesus to fight and to defeat Satan in our power and strength. No, it's about standing confidently in Christ's triumph, which has already taken place over Satan at the cross. His victory over sin His victory over death and the grave is our victory. He's the one that accomplished the victory that we get to stand in. Now, in 2007, we were living in a small town of about 3,000 people in Alberta. And my Saskatchewan Rough Riders won the Grey Cup. I think we have a beautiful picture of that. And we were so happy and so excited 
Charlotte uh, took, was the one taking the pictures. Selfies weren't a thing back then, you know, like, you know, how we do that today. And, and uh, so she took that picture of us, and she was also dressed up, and, and we were cheering. We were so excited, and it was minus 20 outside, just north of Edmonton. The snow was blowing, but we, I loaded up the kids in our minivan, and I, I, uh, along with an off-duty RCMP officer and his two boys, who's Uncle actually played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we roared up and down the streets of that small town, honking our horn, hanging the flag out. I mean, we were causing disorderly conduct. I mean, it was, uh, you know, probably chargeable. It's good we had a cop with us. And, and, I mean, people's windows were closed, obviously. It's minus 20 out and the furnace is running and TV's on. But we were celebrating. This was our victory. We did it. And, oh, it was such an exciting time for Ryder fans, for us as a family, because we won. We were the champions. Now, was I really the champion? I mean, I wasn't on the field. I mean, they, you know, maybe could have called me, but I mean, uh, the game was in Toronto. I was in the Edmonton area. That's 3,300 kilometers away. But I was walking and I was celebrating in the victory that, and, and as if it was my own because I had a stake in that. And, and, and in the same way, folks, loved ones, you have to understand that if you, in, if you are in Christ, the victory that Jesus won at the cross when he defeated sin and death, when he rose again, that's not his victory only. He shares that. That's our victory. That's where we get to stand in the strength that he provides. When we mean stand in the Lord, it means to stand in the victory. And so we can stand confidently putting on the full armor that dates back to the Old Testament. It's so biblical. We stand in his armor, in the gospel armor that he provides. And not only does that armor protect us, but it allows us then to go on the offensive, to not just take a beating, to say enough of this. And we don't take them on in our power and strength. We take them in the power and the strength that's already been provided for us. And so when the attacks happen, when stuff happens, and as you know, stuff happens, we can confront the accuser. You took your best shot, Satan. You're taking your best shot, but you're a loser, and you've lost. And one day you will be totally and forever defeated. And Satan, Jesus died, and he bore my sin. So quit using that guilt on me. He bore my shame, and he triumphed over them, and now I am standing united in Christ. I stand in the strength that he provides. I'm united with him. He shares the victory with you and me. That is why the whole armor is so important. And so finally, let's get to our first piece of armor here today. We need to understand that, 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 that this just isn't you know, a metaphor of just niceties that we put in and, or put onto our lives on a daily basis. No, it's so much more than that. This is why the whole armor is so important. And so look at verse 14. First part of verse 14 is basically our text today. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We are to stand in his strength. But now the first piece of armor we are to put on is the belt of truth. The armor of God, write this down. The the belt of truth prepares me for battle. The belt of truth prepares me for battle. And, And here's some facts about the belt. The belt is foundational. It is a foundational piece of armor. When a soldier 
was putting on the belt, it meant it was the number one indicator that he was going to war. He was going to battle because it was the first and the most foundational piece that he would put on. It was first and most important. It was absolutely crucial. Why? Because second of all, the belt holds everything together. It holds everything in place. Now, belts today are used for holding up our pants, um, uh, usually, and, uh, or to tuck things in, like our shirts or whatever it might be, or maybe if uh, a lady's wearing, or you're wearing a bathrobe, you kind of have a belt that goes around there and to kind of hold things um, together. They're often visible. You see belts, and, and, and they're part of a fashion accessory. I mean, take cowboys, for example. Uh, you know, sometimes they wear some pretty big uh, belt buckles and, and uh, ones like this uh, that, that they might wear. Yeah, there's, you know, just, I mean, there you go. I mean, it's just, just beautiful to, to see something like that. And, um, but, but for the Roman soldier, you wouldn't see his belt for the most part. It was hidden, but it was a vital foundational piece of his armor. The belt wasn't visible. I like how the, the, the King James Version puts it. It says, stand firm, therefore, or stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Don't you like that? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, the belt of truth is, is sometimes stated as the girdle of truth. And, and the understanding of a girdle um, might even be better than a belt, because sometimes a belt, we just think of a small little thing around our waist, but a girdle is, is something a little bit more than that. It's what holds things together. A girdle holds everything together firmly and tightly, similar to, to this today, where some people will wear a, something like this to be able to give strength and to support to the lumbar, to the lower back, and, and, and providing a strength and stability as you go about your daily work, and especially if it's um, uh, various manual labor kind of jobs or if you have a back injury. Wearing a belt or girdle like this described here in this passage was foundational. Putting it on properly, having it good and tight would mean that the rest of the armor would then be able to sit and fit together just as it should. It would, the breastplate would be attached to it and you don't want that breastplate as well here. You don't want that sliding. You don't want that moving. You don't want that falling off in the heat of battle. The breastplate is, protects the vital organs. We'll see that Lord willing next week. And, and also the sword would also be holstered in the belt and, and allowing freedom of, 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 of the soldier's hands at times. And, and, and so we see that the, the belt, of, the belt was, was vital, the girdle that they would put on. This meant that in the heat of battle, everything would stay in place if the belt was put on properly, if it was put on firmly. Because the belt, when it was on and wrapped around, would provide a strength and stability. And in the same way, our lives, our thinking, our emotions must be tied to the belt of truth, tied to the word of God. Because the warfare, the temptations, the trials, the confusion, and the hits will come. And we wonder, am I going to be able to make it? And if we are tied to the belt of truth, if the belt of truth is wrapped around us, nothing will unravel us if it is firmly put in place in our lives. And just not on the day of evil, this is something we put on every day, every day, because we are at war. Now, there, here are some facts and truth 
uh, facts about truth. And, and so we're going to look at the belt of truth. And so we looked at some facts about the belt, but also the, the facts about truth. And the first one, I think you would probably agree with me uh, very easily on this. Truth is in short supply today, isn't it? Listen to Isaiah 59, verse 14. It says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So if, if you depart from the, these lies and these falsehoods and, and you want to stand up and, and, and you want to depart from it and, and be a person of, of truth, it tells us that you're going to make yourself a prey to the enemy. You're going to be in trouble. It's like you better just go with it. You just better zip your lips. You better stay in trouble, stay quiet, or you'll be in trouble. You could lose your job. You could lose favor with people, friendships. Does this not describe our world today? This was the setting before Jesus first coming to this earth. And it is very much the same thing that is and will be in place for his return. He came the first time to be the savior. Next time he's coming to be the judge. And our world is seeing this. We live in a world that is so messed up these days where up is down and down is up, where right is wrong and wrong is right, where man is woman, where woman is man. And, and to oppose any of these and, and to oppose someone in their point of view is to be uncaring, unloving, to be bigoted and all kinds of other names if you stand on the truth. Today we are seeing deceptive political narratives, media collusion concerning ungodly agendas and philosophies, and they're reigning supreme. And it makes you at times wonder, do I sometimes, do I have this wrong? I mean, how crazy am I to think what I'm thinking at times? And we're made to think that, that, that we've lost it. You just don't know what truth is anymore. And if we're not careful, we are gonna be prone to live by lies. And it can happen so easily. Not just from out there, but the, the lies, the collusion that comes into our heads from the enemy. We have to realize who is behind it all. First of all, we have to realize it's not the political figures, ideal, the ones that we're in, in war against. It's not our neighbors. It's not our bosses. It's not our coworkers. It's not that crazy person on social media. No, it's, it's not that. We, we have to recognize where the true enemy is. And, and Satan, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says that he is the father of lies. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11 says that the word used to describe the devil is destroyer. And what is he out to destroy? First and foremost, he's out to destroy the truth. He goes about it in, in a very similar way today as he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And what he did with Adam and Eve, he's doing with you and I, and he can easily have a field day if we are not careful, if we are not tied to truth. Because first of all, what was he out to do? First, he was out to destroy Adam and Eve's trust in the absolute authority of God's word. Write that down. I don't think it's going to be on the notes, but he's out to, to destroy their trust in the authority of God's word. And how did he come after them? How did he come after Adam and Eve? Just like he comes after us. Did God really say that? 
He really didn't say that. He was getting them, he gets us to question, to doubt God's word. Oh, 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 certainly that couldn't have been. Even today. Well, I know what God's word says, but did he really say that? Is that really for me? Tempting us, whispering in our ear. Things like, oh, you can live kind of lightly to God's word. That's just a suggestion. Feel free to pick and choose what you want. After all, you're a snowflake, and there's no one quite like you. And so, you know what? Like, you can just kind of bend the truth around to whatever you want. Secondly, he, he worked to destroy Adam and Eve's trust in the character and the goodness and the generosity of God. He worked to destroy Adam and Eve's trust. He does that with us. Our trust in the character and the generosity and the goodness of God. When, when, when God told them, hey, you can eat of every fruit from every tree except one. That was to test their obedience because they had free will. And this was so that they would grow in their relationship with God as he would see their love and their obedience in response. And, and he got them to believe that God was holding out on them. You know, like, and isn't that a great lie today? God is a miser. He's not generous. He wants you to miss out on the good stuff because if you, if you do participate with that, it's actually going to be really good and really awesome. In fact, you can become like God is what he told Adam and Eve. And the devil is still doing that today. He wants us to question and doubt God's generosity and goodness. When bad things, difficult things happen to us, we start questioning God and his goodness and his faith, loving faithfulness to us. Why me, God? Why me? You're so mean to me. You're such a miser. You're not good. You're not loving. Those thoughts impact our minds. Today, we hear so much about self-love. Search within yourself. Be true to yourself. Trust your heart. Just go with your heart. No, you know what the Bible says about your heart? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That was one of the early Bible memory verses that our parents had us memorize. I can even hear my little brother saying that now. Um, the heart is deceitful, and he would say, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what? We need to know and understand. Our hearts are deceitful. We can easily be deceived. And you know what? Down deep, we're desperately wicked. But what does the world tell us? I mean, this self-love is the oldest religion. It started in, in Genesis 3. And it's behind so many of the social and political agendas and ideologies today. He's telling us lies like, your mind is the source and standard of truth. You know you are truth. Hashtag, the answers are from within. Or another hashtag, follow your heart. Your emotions are authoritative, so never question. And don't let anyone else question your thoughts or your feelings. Because again, you're that snowflake. Hashtag, follow your heart. Or hashtag, live your truth. Bend the universe around and, 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 and make your dreams and your desires happen. I like how Vody Bachman said it. He said, Forget this, follow your heart stuff. It will lead you into a ditch. <laughs> Third thing the devil sought to destroy for Adam and Eve, and he does this for us too, is their fellowship and their enjoyment with God. As soon as they fell into sin, as, as, as soon as they ate from that tree, their fellowship. Before this, before the fall, God came and, and down and he walked with them in the cool of the day as a friend walking with a friend. I don't know how God did that, how amazing that would have been, but there was communication, there was relationship, there was deep, rich, amazing communion with God and Satan sought to destroy it and he did for a time. 
And today, so oftentimes and so sadly, multitudes of God's people We're living in areas of deception. We're doubting the authority and reliability of God's word. We're questioning God in his ways and and, and we're allowing even deep-rooted bitterness to start in our lives towards God, towards the things that have happened. And it's so sad for so many believers today, how many of us truly enjoy him in fellowship and relationship. We once perhaps had this closeness and, 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 and... intimacy with God, and now it just kind of seems like there's something going on there, and that's what he seeks to, to, to destroy in our lives. The second fact about truth is that Truth is established by God. First one is that truth is in short supply, but truth, real truth is, is established by God. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am truth. In John 17, 7, he says, the word of God, my word is truth, and we are sanctified by it. It helps us to grow, to mature. It is rock-solid foundation to build our lives on. God has put everything that he wants us to know between the covers of the Bible. Everything that we need and want to know about himself, about his son, about eternity, about life, about family, about sex, about money, about business, about how we conduct our relationships, how we conduct our conversations, it's all found in the word of God. We don't need extra books written. We don't need new revelations. It's done. It's here for us. It's in the cover of his word. And when we study God's word, when we study it carefully and we learn and we apply it to our lives, that's how we strap on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is is strapped tightly around us and providing power and strength for us in our lives to withstand whatever attacks may come our way. Third thing we see here is I must choose. I must choose daily to live in the truth. It's not, sure, it's one thing to know truth is in short supply, truth is established by God, but I must choose to put it on daily. If we are not putting the word of God into our minds daily, if we are not balancing out all of the lies and the deceptions and the errors that that we are being pounded with every day, we're already being misled. And we don't even necessarily know it. So how do we put on the belt? Tell me, Melden, how do you put on the belt of truth? Well, first of all, by confessing the truth. The truth about, first of all, ourselves. Confessing the truth about ourselves that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And that there is nothing that you and I can do in our own power, our own strength. There's no religious actions or deeds or money we can give or good works we can do to be in right standing with God, to make our way to heaven. Nothing we can do. It's confessing that we are sinners, we have fallen short, but it's then, second of all, confessing the truth about Jesus, that he is the Lord, the Savior. He is God in the flesh. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He suffered and died on the cross, taking our sin, taking our shame, taking our punishment that we deserve. And by confessing and believing that he conquered sin, and he conquered sin and death, and then by rising from the dead, When we put our trust in that truth, that understanding, and we transfer our trust into him, into his life, confessing and turning away from our sin, saying, I'm a sinner, God, please forgive me. We do that initially, and we do that daily in our lives, confessing and repenting of our sin and turning away from our sin and our agenda and make him the Lord and Savior of our lives. 
And Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, it will be saved. It's by confessing truth that Jesus is the truth, that his word is truth. And I'm receiving this truth into my life. You can be saved right now if you've never been saved. And if you're not saved here today, you are in the devil's camp. You are, you are prime target for the enemy for destruction in hell. And that's where you will be going. That's what God's word says. And this is why we need to turn to Jesus. And this is the first way, this is how we put the belt of truth on us. But now with the belt of truth on us, we must do something with that. We must fasten it on tightly every day because it's going to want to loosen. It's going to settle. We're going to kind of, you know, as we move around, it's going gonna, it's gonna to loosen up a little bit. And we need to tighten it on daily in our lives, determining and committing to be people of the word, people of truth. James chapter 4 says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, and resist the devil, and he will flee. Who's he talking about there? He's talking to believers. He's talking to you and me. Daily, we are to be cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts, because we are so double-minded, and resist the devil, and what happens? He will flee. Daily confessing our sins, daily purifying our hearts with the word of God, with the word of truth. And daily determining to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak and to think and to pursue the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God every day. Speaking truth in conversations. You know, and this is so subtle. 1 Timothy chapter 3.11 says, God's servants are not to be slanderers. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's good. The word slander in the original Greek there in 1 Timothy 3.11 is the word for devil. When we are slandering someone, when we are telling some mistruths in a, in a text message, in a conversation, even in our thinking, you know what we're doing? We're doing the devil's work. And so when we lie, when we fudge the truth, even just a little bit, we're doing the devil's work. We're playing right into his hands. But here is a great problem and a danger. A study I read recently is that, and it claims that over 80%, around 82, 83% of people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are not in the word of God on a daily basis. That's terrifying. That's not good. Because that means that we're not cinching and tightening up the belt of truth around us. And we are going out unprotected and unprepared. This is where the crucible of discipline comes in. It's not to earn our salvation. That's already been won for us in Christ. But this is to stand strong so that we don't keep getting duped and defeated by the evil one. It's carving out and making our God time a priority in our lives every day. When it says, having fastened on the belt of truth, the tense of that verse is like this. Paul is saying, put it on and keep putting it on. Putting it on daily. Daily deciding to be in and then to adhere to the word of God. And so important question for you here today. Do I have a firm grip on the word of God? Am I tied to the truth of God's word? Am I reading, am I studying, am I growing in God's word? And a great way to do that is to be in a group with others, learning and growing and praying and, and being accountable with one another. 
if you and I, if we're tied to the truth, our minds and our lives won't unravel when everything and everyone around us is because we have been cinched up and girded up with the belt of truth. But also God's word, we have to ask the question, do I have a firm grip on God's word? Is God's word priority in my life? But then the next question is, does God's word have a firm grip on me? It's not just having head knowledge, just not reading the word. There, I did it. I did my chapter. I'm good. It's does it have a firm grip on me? James chapter one says, be not just, just don't be hearers of the word. Just don't know the word, but do it, live it. And it's vital that God's word goes from the head to the heart or else we're gonna get pummeled. And oftentimes pride will be one of the things that takes us down. But there are two dangers when it comes to God's word. And I'm not ready to fight and nor will I stand securely, will I stand firmly if there's compromise in my life towards God and his word? Are we compromising? Are we rationalizing, justifying, excusing certain areas of sin, living lightly to the word of God? Well, I'm following in this area, but in this area, God's word is very clear about not being unequally yoked to an unbeliever. And yet how many of God's servants, God's people, go ahead and date and, and you know, they call it missionary dating. That's compromising. That's going against God's word. And oftentimes, there's a terrible price to pay for that later on. You might be a success story. Praise the Lord for that, but get on your knees and be humble before God for his goodness in, the, in, in your situation if that turned out well for you. But you compromise, and it, 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 it's, it's not... It goes against what God's word calls us and, and how he calls us to live, living in, in, in unconfessed, undealt with sin, living with bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives. Well, after what they did to me, I'm just going to hold on to it. I know forgiveness is a process. Yes, it is. And so you've been processing it for a really long time. Quit it and deal with it. And yes, there is the process in dealing with forgiveness, but it's daily, daily bringing it before God. Daily having others stand with you and say, help me I'm to grow in my forgiveness and dealing with this situation. If I'm compromising, if any of us are compromising, we're in danger, in danger. And a subtle way that we compromise is simply even by not being in the word daily. Because we're getting fed the lies wherever we go. It's on the radio, it's in the advertisements, it's in the social media, it's conversations. Are there areas of compromise in your life? The second danger is outright rebellion. Does God's word have a grip on you or is there outright rebellion to God's word? I know what God's word says, but I'm not gonna follow it. I'm not gonna obey it. 1 Samuel 15, 23, write that down. 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That when we are rebellion, if we have a rebellious nature, and then it goes on to even talk about being stubborn. And some of us can take pride in being Stubborn. Oh, I'm a stubborn German. I think my wife has called me that a few times. <laughs> and we can wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I'm stubborn. Or else I'm rebellious. I don't know. Pretty dangerous when it says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 1 Samuel 15, 23. When we allow for compromise or rebellion, we are in Satan's side and there's no middle ground. It's not like I'm kind of straddling the fence. No, if there's compromise and rebellion, we are on his side. We have loosened the belt. 
And so would we submit and surrender our lives to God's word? His word is truth. None of us getting this done, none of us living a perfect life, but it's this daily surrendering and resting and trusting in God and his word. And it's having others walking with us, praying with us, standing with us. Let's bow our heads. We are in a battle. And God said that the first piece of armor is truth. In your own heart, in your own mind today, I want to encourage you to put it on. If you've never put on the belt of truth, meaning that you don't know Jesus today, confess him today as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. There's some literature we'd love to be able to give you that just helps you grow in this understanding, but love to talk to you about it. Put it on. Get that belt on. And if you're a child of his today, we need to tighten it up. We need to fasten it up. Truth means I'm totally sold out in loving who God is and what he has said and what he has done. Truth means I'm not going to listen to what the world says or what others say. I'm going to listen to what God says. Put on the belt of truth today. Putting on the belt of truth means I'm going to trust God's heart. I'm going to trust God's word. Even when everything around me is failing and falling apart. Loved ones, today, if there's areas of compromise or rebellion, name it before the Lord today, confess it, and ask him to forgive you. Listen to this. When we deal seriously with our sin, God deals gently with us. That is such a sweet truth. When we deal seriously with our sin, when we confess it, when we repent, when we get the help that we need, God will deal gently with us. This is how we fasten the belt of truth. It's how we stand firm, how we stand strong. God, I pray that we would, as your children here today, we would stand in the power and the victory that you provide. We're on this battlefield, it's real, but you are the one who is our defense. You are the one who has provided everything we need to stand firm. And I pray for those that are in the battle hard today. There's rebellion, there's compromise, there's questioning, there's confusion going on in their lives. God, I pray it would just start with, first of all, brothers and sisters here just saying, God, I surrender to you, to your truth. Your word is truth. Now sanctify me by your truth. And as we do that, God, you will deal gently and graciously towards us. You will empower us and strengthen us for whatever will come our way because you are faithful and you will be the one holding us up when everything around us is failing and falling because we have that strength and stability that many will not see, but there is a boldness and a strength that they, they see in us and it is the belt of truth. May we wrap it on every day in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's declare in our worship here this morning. And in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 59, description of the Messiah's fighting shoes that he would be wearing, of his, of his belt, of his breastplate, of the helmet of salvation is even mentioned in the Old Testament. Again, this will be part of the study. This next week, I encourage you to dig into that. 
and how important it is. Because, as I said, the Old Testament promises Jesus. The New Testament reveals Jesus. You have to know and understand this theological, biblical truth because it's what strengthens us, and it's where the power and the strength comes from, that we aren't standing in our own strength, but we're standing in his. And so Paul is showing us that Jesus was promised and then became the mighty, the divine warrior. He was the mighty one. And again, this is so important because the Christian life, and this is where we get this so wrong so oftentimes, the Christian life is not about wearing the armor so that we become strong enough. It isn't about becoming so much like Jesus to become like Jesus to fight and to defeat Satan in our power and strength. No, it's about standing confidently in Christ's triumph, which has already taken place over Satan at the cross. His victory over sin His victory over death and the grave is our victory. He's the one that accomplished the victory that we get to stand in. Now, in 2007, we were living in a small town of about 3,000 people in Alberta. And my Saskatchewan Rough Riders won the Grey Cup. I think we have a beautiful picture of that. And we were so happy and so excited Charlotte uh, took, was the one taking the pictures. Selfies weren't a thing back then, you know, like, you know, how we do that today. And, and uh, so she took that picture of us, and she was also dressed up, and, and we were cheering. We were so excited, and it was minus 20 outside, just north of Edmonton. The snow was blowing, but we, I loaded up the kids in our minivan, and I, I, uh, along with an off-duty RCMP officer and his two boys, who's Uncle actually played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we roared up and down the streets of that small town, honking our horn, hanging the flag out. I mean, we were causing disorderly conduct. I mean, it was, uh, you know, probably chargeable. It's good we had a cop with us. And, and, I mean, people's windows were closed, obviously. It's minus 20 out and the furnace is running and TV's on. But we were celebrating. This was our victory. We did it. And, oh, it was such an exciting time for Ryder fans, for us as a family, because we won. We were the champions. Now, was I really the champion? I mean, I wasn't on the field. I mean, they, you know, maybe could have called me, but I mean, uh, the game was in Toronto. I was in the Edmonton area. That's 3,300 kilometers away. But I was walking and I was celebrating in the victory that, and, and as if it was my own because I had a stake in that. And, and, and in the same way, folks, loved ones, you have to understand that if you, in, if you are in Christ, the victory that Jesus won at the cross when he defeated sin and death, when he rose again, that's not his victory only. He shares that. That's our victory. That's where we get to stand in the strength that he provides. When we mean stand in the Lord, it means to stand in the victory. And so we can stand confidently putting on the full armor that dates back to the Old Testament. It's so biblical. We stand in his armor, in the gospel armor that he provides. And not only does that armor protect us, but it allows us then to go on the offensive, to not just take a beating, to say enough of this. And we don't take them on in our power and strength. We take them in the power and the strength that's already been provided for us. And so when the attacks happen, when stuff happens, and as you know, stuff happens, we can confront the accuser. You took your best shot, Satan. 
you're taking your best shot, but you're a loser and you've lost. And one day you will be totally and forever defeated. And Satan, Jesus died and he bore my sins. So quit using that guilt on me. He bore my shame and he triumphed over them. And now I am standing united in Christ. I stand in the strength that he provides. I'm united with him. He shares the victory with you and me. That is why the whole armor is so important. And so finally, let's get to our first piece of armor here today. We need to understand that, 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 that this just isn't you know, a metaphor of just niceties that we put in and, or put onto our lives on a daily basis. No, it's so much more than that. This is why the whole armor is so important. And so look at verse 14. First part of verse 14 is basically our text today. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We are to stand in his strength. But now the first piece of armor we are to put on is the belt of truth. The armor of God, write this down. The, the belt of truth prepares me for battle. The belt of truth prepares for me for battle. And, and here's some facts about the belt. The belt is foundational. It is a foundational piece of armor. When a soldier was putting on the belt, it meant it was the number one indicator that he was going to war. He was going to battle because it was the first and the most foundational piece that he would put on. It was first and most important. It was absolutely crucial. Why? Because second of all, the belt holds everything together. It holds everything in place. Now, belts today are used for holding up our pants um, uh, usually, and, uh, or to tuck things in, like our shirts or whatever it might be, or maybe if uh, a lady's wearing, or you're wearing a bathrobe, you kind of have a belt that goes around there and to kind of hold things um, together. They're often visible. You see belts, and, and, and they're part of a fashion accessory. I mean, take cowboys, for example. Uh, you know, sometimes they wear some pretty big uh, belt buckles and, and uh, ones like this. Uh, that, that they might wear. Yeah, there's, you know, just, I mean, there you go. I mean, it's just, just beautiful to, to see something like that. And, um, but, but for the Roman soldier, you wouldn't see his belt for the most part. It was hidden, but it was a vital foundational piece of his armor. The belt wasn't visible. I like how the, the, the King James Version puts it. It says, stand firm, therefore, or stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Don't you like that? Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Now, the belt of truth is, is sometimes stated as the girdle of truth. And, and the understanding of a girdle um, might even be better than a belt because sometimes a belt, we just think of a small little thing around our waist, but a girdle is, is something a little bit more than that. It's what holds things together. A girdle holds everything together firmly and tightly, similar to, to this today, where some people will wear a, something like this to be able to give strength and to support to the lumbar, to the lower back, and, and, and providing a strength and s stability as you go about your daily work, and especially if it's um, uh, various manual labor kind of jobs or if you have a back injury. Wearing a belt or girdle like this it, described here in this passage was foundational. 
putting it on properly, having it good and tight would mean that the rest of the armor would then be able to sit and fit together just as it should. It would, the breastplate would be attached to it. And you don't want that breastplate as well here. You don't want that sliding. You don't want that moving. You don't want that falling off in the heat of battle. The breastplate is, protects the vital organs. We'll see that, Lord willing, next week. And, and also the sword would also be holstered in the belt and, and allowing freedom of, 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 of the soldier's hands at times. And, and, and so we see that the, the belt, of, the belt was, was vital, the girdle that they would put on. This meant that in the heat of battle, everything would stay in place if the belt was put on properly, if it was put on firmly. Because the belt, when it was on and wrapped around, would provide a strength and stability. And in the same way, our lives, our thinking, our emotions must be tied to the belt of truth, tied to the word of God. Because the warfare, the temptations, the trials, the confusion, and the hits will come, and we wonder, Am I going to be able to make it? And if we are tied to the belt of truth, if the belt of truth is wrapped around us, nothing will unravel us if it is firmly put in place in our lives. And just not on the day of evil. This is something we put on every day, every day, because we are at war. Now, here are some facts and truth uh, facts about truth, and, and so we're going to look at the belt of truth, and so we looked at some facts about the belt, but also the, the facts about truth, and the first one, I think you would probably agree with me uh, very easily on this. Truth is in short supply today, isn't it? Listen to Isaiah 59, verse 14. It says, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So if, if you depart from the, these lies and these falsehoods, and, and you want to stand up, and, and, and you want to depart from it, and, and be a person of, of truth, it tells us that you're going to make yourself a prey to the enemy. You're going to be in trouble. It's like, you better just go with it. You just better zip your lips. You better stay in trouble, stay quiet, or you'll be in trouble. You could lose your job. You could lose favor with people, friendships. Does this not describe our world today? This was the setting before Jesus first coming to this earth. And it is very much the same thing that is and will be in place for his return. He came the first time to be the savior. Next time he's coming to be the judge. And our world is seeing this. We live in a world that is so messed up these days where up is down and down is up, where right is wrong and wrong is right, where man is woman, where woman is man. And, and to oppose any of these and, and to oppose someone in their point of view is to be uncaring, unloving, to be bigoted and all kinds of other names if you stand on the truth. Today we are seeing deceptive political narratives media collusion concerning ungodly agendas and philosophies and they're reigning supreme and it makes you at times wonder do i sometimes do i have this wrong i mean how crazy am i to think what i'm thinking at times and we're made to think that that, that we've lost it you just don't know what truth is anymore and if we're not careful we are going to be prone to live by lies. And it can happen so easily. Not just from out there, but the, the lies 
the collusion that comes into our heads from the enemy. We have to realize who is behind it all. First of all, we have to realize it's not the political figures, ideal, the ones that we're in, in war against. It's not our neighbors, it's not our bosses, it's not our coworkers, it's not that crazy person on social media. No, it's, it's not that. We, we have to recognize where the true enemy is. And, and Satan, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says that he is the father of lies. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Revelation chapter 9 verse 11 says that the word used to describe the devil is destroyer. And what is he out to destroy? First and foremost, he's out to destroy the truth. He goes about it in, in a very similar way today as he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And what he did with Adam and Eve, he's doing with you and I and he can easily have a field day if we are not careful, if we are not tied to truth. Because first of all, what was he out to do? First, he was out to destroy Adam and Eve's trust in the absolute authority of God's word. Write that down. I don't think it's going to be on the notes. But he's out to, to destroy their trust in the authority of God's word. And how did he come after them? How did he come after Adam and Eve? Just like he comes after us. Did God really say that? He really didn't say that. He was getting them, he gets us to question, to doubt God's word. Oh, oh, oh certainly that couldn't have been. Even today. Well, I know what God's word says, but did he really say that? Is that really for me? Tempting us, whispering in our ear. Things like, oh, you can live kind of lightly to God's word. That's just a suggestion. Feel free to pick and choose what you want. After all, you're a snowflake, and there's no one quite like you. And so, you know what? Like, you can just kind of bend the truth around to whatever you want. Secondly, he, he worked to destroy Adam and Eve's trust in the character and the goodness and the generosity of God. He worked to destroy Adam and Eve's trust. He does that with us. Our trust in the character and the generosity and the goodness of God. When, when God told them, hey, you can eat of every fruit from every tree except one, that was to test their obedience because they had free will. And this was so that they would grow in their relationship with God as he would see their love and their obedience in response. And, and he got them to believe that God was holding out on them. You know, like, and isn't that a great lie today? God is a miser. He's not generous. He wants you to miss out on the good stuff because if you, if you do participate with that, it's actually going to be really good and really awesome. In fact, you can become like God is what he told Adam and Eve. And the devil is still doing that today. He wants us to question and doubt God's generosity and goodness. When bad things, difficult things happen to us, we start questioning God and his goodness and his faith, loving faithfulness to us. Why me, God? Why me? You're so mean to me. You're such a miser. You're not good. You're not loving. Those thoughts impact our minds. Today we hear so much about self-love. Search within yourself. Be true to yourself. Trust your heart. Just go with your heart. No, you know what the Bible says about your heart? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. It says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That was one of the early Bible memory verses that our parents had us memorize. That I can even hear my little brother saying that now. Um, the heart is deceitful and he would say, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what? We need to know and understand. Our hearts are deceitful. 
We can easily be deceived. And you know what? Down deep, we're desperately wicked. But what does the world tell us? I mean, this self-love is the oldest religion. It started in, in Genesis 3. And it's behind so many of the social and political agendas and ideologies today. He's telling us lies like, your mind is the source and standard of truth. You know you are truth. Hashtag, the answers are from within. Or another hashtag, follow your heart. Your emotions are authoritative, so never question. And don't let anyone else question your thoughts or your feelings. Because again, you're that snowflake. Hashtag follow your heart. Or hashtag live your truth. Bend the universe around and, 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 and make your dreams and your desires happen. I like how Bodie Bachman said it. He said, forget this, follow your heart stuff. It will lead you into a ditch. <laughs> Third thing the devil sought to destroy for Adam and Eve, and he does this for us too, is their fellowship and their enjoyment with God. As soon as they fell into sin, as, as, as soon as they ate from that tree, their fellowship. Before this, before the fall, God came and, and down and he walked with them in the cool of the day as a friend walking with a friend. I don't know how God did that, how amazing that would have been, but there was communication, there was relationship, there was deep, rich, amazing communion with God and Satan sought to destroy it and he did for a time. And today, so oftentimes and so sadly, multitudes of God's people we're living in areas of deception. We're doubting the authority and reliability of God's word. We're questioning God in his ways. And, 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 and we're allowing even deep-rooted bitterness to start in our lives towards God, towards the things that have happened. And it's so sad for so many believers today, how many of us truly enjoy him in fellowship and relationship. We once perhaps had this closeness and and. and, and, and intimacy with God, and now it just kind of seems like there, there's something going on there, and that's what he seeks to, to, to destroy in our lives. The second fact about truth is that truth is established by God. First one is that truth is in short supply, but truth, real truth is, is established by God. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am truth. In John 17, 7, he says, the word of God, my word is truth, and we are sanctified by it. It helps us to grow, to mature. It is rock-solid foundation to build our lives on. God has put everything that he wants us to know between the covers of the Bible. Everything that we need and want to know about himself, about his son, about eternity, about life, about family, about sex, about money, about business, about how we conduct our relationships, how we conduct our conversations, it's all found in the word of God. We don't need extra books written. We don't need new revelations. It's done. It's here for us. It's in the cover of his word. And when we study God's word, when we study it carefully and we learn and we apply it to our lives... That's how we strap on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is, is strapped tightly around us and providing power and strength for us in our lives to withstand whatever attacks may come our way. The third thing we see here is I must choose. I must choose daily to live in the truth. It's not, sure, it's one thing to know truth is in short supply, truth is established by God, but I must choose to put it on daily. If we are not putting the word of God into our minds daily, if we are not balancing out all of the lies and the deceptions and the errors that, that we are being pounded with every day, we are already being misled and we don't even necessarily know it. 
So how do we put on the belt? Tell me, Melden, how do you put on the belt of truth? Well, first of all, by confessing the truth, the truth about, first of all, ourselves, confessing the truth about ourselves that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard and that there is nothing that you and I can do in our own power, our own strength. There's no religious actions or deeds or money we can give or good works we can do to be in right standing with God, to make our way to heaven. Nothing we can do. It's confessing that we are sinners, we have fallen short, but it's then, second of all, confessing the truth about Jesus, that he is the Lord, the Savior. He is God in the flesh. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He suffered and died on the cross, taking our sin, taking our shame, taking our punishment that we deserve. And by confessing and believing that he conquered sin, and he conquered sin and death, and then by rising from the dead, when we put our trust in that truth, that understanding, and we transfer our trust into him, into his life, confessing and turning away from our sin, saying, I'm a sinner, God, please forgive me. We do that initially, and we do that daily in our lives, confessing and repenting of our sin and turning away from our sin and our agenda and make him the Lord and Savior of our lives. And Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, it will be saved. It's by confessing truth that Jesus is the truth, that his word is truth. And I'm receiving this truth into my life. You can be saved right now if you've never been saved. And if you're not saved here today, you are in the devil's camp. You are, you are prime target for the enemy for destruction in hell. And that's where you will be going. That's what God's word says. And this is why we need to turn to Jesus. And this is the first way, this is how we put the belt of truth on us. But now with the belt of truth on us, we must do something with that. We must fasten it on tightly every day because it's gonna wanna loosen, it's gonna settle. We're gonna kinda, you know, as we move around, it's gonna, it's gonna loosen up a little bit and we need to tighten it on daily in our lives, determining and committing to be people of the word, people of truth. James chapter 4 says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, and resist the devil, and he will flee. Who's he talking about there? He's talking to believers. He's talking to you and me. Daily, we are to be cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts, because we are so double-minded, and resist the devil, and what happens? He will flee. Daily confessing our sins, daily purifying our hearts with the word of God, with the word of truth and daily determining to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak and to think and to pursue the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God every day. Speaking truth in conversations. You know, and this is so subtle. 1 Timothy chapter 3.11 says, God's servants are not to be slanderers. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's good. The word slander in the original Greek there in 1 Timothy 3.11 is the word for devil. When we are slandering someone, when we are telling some mistruths in a, in a text message, in a conversation, even in our thinking, you know what we're doing? We're doing the devil's work. And so when we lie, when we fudge the truth, even just a little bit, we're doing the devil's work. We're playing right into his hands. But here is a great problem and a danger. A study I read recently is that, and it claims that over 
around 82-83% of people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are not in the word of God on a daily basis. That's terrifying. That's not good. Because that means that we're not cinching and tightening up the belt of truth around us. And we are going out unprotected and unprepared. This is where the crucible of discipline comes in. It's not to earn our salvation. That's already been won for us in Christ. But this is to stand strong so that we don't keep getting duped and defeated by the evil one. It's carving out and making our God time a priority in our lives every day. When it says, having fastened on the belt of truth, the tense of that verse is like this. Paul is saying, put it on and keep putting it on. Putting it on daily. Daily deciding to be in and then to adhere to the word of God. So important question for you here today. Do I have a firm grip on the word of God? Am I tied to the truth of God's word? Am I reading, am I studying, am I growing in God's word? And a great way to do that is to be in a group with others, learning and growing and praying and, and being accountable with one another. If you and I, if we're tied to the truth, our minds and our lives won't unravel when everything and everyone around us is because we have been cinched up and girded up with the belt of truth. But also God's word, we have to ask the question, do I have a firm grip on God's word? Is God's word priority in my life? But then the next question is, does God's word have a firm grip on me? It's not just having head knowledge, just not reading the word. There, I did it. I did my chapter. I'm good. It's does it have a firm grip on me? James chapter 1 says, be not just, just don't be hearers of the word. Just don't know the word, but do it. Live it. And it's vital that God's word goes from the head to the heart or else we're going to get pummeled. And oftentimes pride will be one of the things that takes us down. But there are two dangers when it comes to God's word. And I'm not ready to fight and nor will I stand securely, will I stand firmly if there's compromise in my life towards God and his word. Are we compromising? Are we rationalizing, justifying, excusing certain areas of sin, living lightly to the word of God? Well, I'm following in this area, but in this area, God's word is very clear about not being unequally yoked to an unbeliever. And yet how many of God's servants, God's people, go ahead and date? And, and you know, they call it missionary dating. That's compromising. That's going against God's word. And oftentimes there's a terrible price to pay for that later on. You might be a success story. Praise the Lord for that, but get on your knees and be humble before God for his goodness in, the, in, in your situation if that turned out well for you. But you compromised, and it, 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 it's, it's not, it goes against what God's word calls us and, and how he calls us to live, living in, in, in unconfessed, undealt with sin, living with bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives. Well, after what they did to me, I'm just going to hold on to it. I know forgiveness is a process. Yes, it is. And so you've been processing it for a really long time. Quit it and deal with it. And yes, there is the process in dealing with forgiveness, but it's daily, daily bringing it before God, daily having others stand with you and say, help me I'm to grow in my forgiveness and dealing with this situation. If I'm compromising, if any of us are compromising, we're in danger, in danger. And a subtle way that we compromise 
This is simply even by not being in the word daily. Because we're getting fed the lies wherever we go. It's on the radio, it's in the advertisements, it's in the social media, it's conversations. Are there areas of compromise in your life? The second danger is outright rebellion. Does God's word have a grip on you or is there outright rebellion to God's word? I know what God's word says, but I'm not going to follow it. I'm not going to obey it. 1 Samuel 15.23, write that down. 1 Samuel 15.23, it says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That when we are rebellion, if we have a rebellious nature, and then it goes on to even talk about being stubborn. And some of us can take pride in being stubborn. Oh, I'm a stubborn German. I think my wife has called me that a few times. <laughs> and we can wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I'm stubborn. Or else I'm rebellious. I don't know. Pretty dangerous when it says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 1 Samuel 15, 23. When we allow for compromise or rebellion, we are in Satan's side and there's no middle ground. It's not like I'm kind of straddling the fence. No, if there's compromise and rebellion, we are on his side. We have loosened the belt. And so would we submit and surrender our lives to God's word? His word is truth. None of us getting this done, none of us living a perfect life, but it's this daily surrendering and resting and trusting in God and his word. And it's having others walking with us, praying with us, standing with us. Let's bow our heads. We are in a battle. And God said that the first piece of armor is truth. In your own heart, in your own mind today, I want to encourage you to put it on. If you've never put on the belt of truth, meaning that you don't know Jesus today, confess him today as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. There's some literature we'd love to be able to give you that just helps you grow in this understanding, but love to talk to you about it. Put it on. Get that belt on. And if you are a child of his today, we need to tighten it up. We need to fasten it up. Truth means I'm totally sold out in loving who God is and what he has said and what he has done. Truth means I'm not going to listen to what the world says or what others say. I'm going to listen to what God says. Put on the belt of truth today. Putting on the belt of truth means I'm going to trust God's heart I'm going to trust God's word even when everything around me is failing and falling apart. Loved ones, today, if there's areas of compromise or rebellion, name it before the Lord today, confess it, and ask him to forgive you. And listen to this. When we deal seriously with our sin, God deals gently with us. That is such a sweet truth. When we deal seriously with our sin, when we confess it, when we repent, when we get the help that we need, God will deal gently with us. This is how we fasten the belt of truth. It's how we stand firm, how we stand strong. God, I pray that we would, as your children here today, we would stand in the power and the victory that you provide. We're on this battlefield, it's real, but you are the one who is our defense. You are the one 
who has provided everything we need to stand firm. And I pray for those that are in the battle hard today. There's rebellion, there's compromise, there's questioning, there's confusion going on in their lives. God, I pray it would just start with, first of all, brothers and sisters here just saying, God, I surrender to you, to your truth. Your word is truth. Now sanctify me by your truth. And as we do that, God, you will deal gently and graciously towards us. You will empower us and strengthen us for whatever will come our way because you are faithful. And you will be the one holding us up when everything around us is failing and falling because we have that strength and stability that many will not see, but there is a boldness and a strength that they, they see in us, and it is the belt of truth. May we wrap it on every day in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's declare in our worship here this morning.